Hello and welcome to Grow Up Summer School, an ABG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkerers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and this week on the show, we'll be continuing with our strategy toolkit. Every day this week, we'll be dropping one new episode each day to give you even more opportunities to grow on everything from how to think like a futurist to how to hone those presentation skills to today, how to leverage systems thinking. Today, we're talking to Esme Rotschafer, CSO at Field Marshall. Just before we dive in, we'd like to give a special shout out to the team at Hot Specs for sponsoring today's episode. As one of Canada's leading supporters of strategic planning, they've shown a keen interest in continuing to help us foster and strengthen Canada's strategic talent. And for that, we thank you. Now let's get into the show. I am a you know career strategist. I've been doing this for over 20 years, and I work in a few different focused but related areas of strategy, uh, brand strategy, foresight and cultural mapping strategy, innovation, and human-centered design. So that's kind of like the realm that I do my work in. And um, that's kind of how I focus my energies in terms of my consultancy. Um, and I guess that's about all I need to say about that. Um, and then, yeah, so I want to chat about uh, systems thinking and obviously want to thank you for having me on. Um, it's a wonderful topic. It can feel a little overwhelming at times. So this is a great forum to talk about it. Uh, so systems thinking, essentially, it's a holistic approach to understanding the way parts fit together in a dynamic system. So if we're thinking about systems thinking, we're really trying to understand the whole, We're trying to understand the whole system, not just a component of the system or an object within the system. For instance, a chair is a chair, it's an object, but that chair re- re- relies on systems to actually even get it produced as a chair. So when we talk about systems thinking, it's fundamentally about understanding man-made systems, natural systems, um, any kind of system that impacts how our world works and the kind of decision make, decisions we make. And how did you get into this? Did you go to school for it or take a course or what, what was kind of your road in? Yeah, it's, you know, I was trying to think about that and it just kind of came naturally. So I can't quite pinpoint it as a, as like a moment in time, but it's, I've been working, it's systems thinking, you're seeing it a lot more right now, for sure, in the, over the last few years, absolutely. But I've been actually practicing systems thinking for probably more than a decade. And I think my route into it, if I have to think about it, is, uh, was through foresight and cultural mapping, um, because those are, um, those require a systems level approach. And so I'm pretty sure that's how I kind of like went, got into it in terms of, oh, that actually makes a ton of sense with the kind of work I'm passionate about. I want to learn about that because that actually is really important. Um, And then of course, through the years, I absolutely, you know, I always think read, 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 read. And if you can do that, then you get a lot of substance. But I also obviously, um, take, you know, master classes and find excuses to to work with other systems thinking practitioners wherever I can, because it's just really fun to practice and and to learn that way. So over the years, it's been, you know, an ongoing process of application and learning and, and just practicum, really. Yeah. And I feel like the, the OCAD has a course on systems thinking, doesn't it? I feel like I've come across. Some... You know, I feel like everyone's got a course on systems thinking right oh, okay. now. <laughs> Um, you know, IDEO just launched theirs, which I have to say, um, probably a little late to market for IDEO to be launching theirs. But um, I do believe you're right. OCAD does have something in in systems thinking. MIT does. Uh, you name it. It's everyone's got a course right now on systems thinking. And certainly they're they're 
a lot of them are built for technology and that's great, but it is a life sciences um, discipline. So I do encourage everyone, depending on your area of interest, of course, to um, really seek out the right type of program for your, your interest. Okay. Okay. Great. And, and, and like, maybe you'll get into this with your, with your five tips. And I love the chair example. I guess I'd be curious as well, kind of um, with some of your clients and, and, and that, and a lot of us come from a, a obviously a strategy background, um, how, how you've applied systems thinking, but I'm sure we'll get into that. We totally will get into that. Um, and it's, it's surprising the, I, I, the amount of application there, there is. Okay, great. Um, okay, so what's your first tip on how to leverage systems thinking? We have kind of a fuzzy idea of what it is. How do we how do we get our feet wet? Okay, so I would say get grounded in the science of systems thinking first. So the the challenge is, you know, we've all seen this with design thinking. Um, it becomes the thing du jour that everyone kind of rallies around, you know, and then it gets used poorly or superficially. And then people start to complain it doesn't work and you're just putting post-it notes on walls. <laughs> and then, um, and then you know, people start to lose interest and say, what's next? So that's just, you know, damaging for, for the, the value that there is in design thinking. There still is in design thinking and systems thinking. We don't want that to happen either. So if you're going to do it, you should, you should really learn about the fundamentals. And I would start with a book called Thinking in Systems. It was the first book I read by Donella Meadows, and she is a pioneer of the field of systems thinking. Okay. Um, so she's really important to the field. The book is really good. It can be a bit technical at times, but I, I say persevere. <laughs> and it will really, really um, open your eyes to what it's really all about um, and how where it comes from and how to leverage it. So that's the first thing I would say is just to really get grounded. Um, I think over the last two years, I think if you're thinking about like COVID, for instance, and that was an event, you know, we think about um, that's an event, it happened. But I think what was amazing and sad at the same time is really the amount of systems issues that we all started to to understand or started to to percolate in our worlds the amount of inequity the the how poorly systems work for people how unprepared structurally we are for things so i think covid was really a big eye opener to anyone about unintended consequences about um, how systems fail us and how systems are built with bias in them and aren't always evolving as they should with with you know, human, human beings and society. So I would say that's why thinking in systems start with Danella Meadows. Um, I'd look at, um, you know, there are other sources. There's the systems thinking, I think it's called the systems thinking.com. It's also, if you want to just dive into everything ever written about systems thinking, that's the website for you. Um, so I would say, yeah, get grounded in the science of it first. Um, definitely. And, um, because really, you know, we are systems thinking is about redesigning our world. And I, I think we all know our world needs a lot of that right now. And, you know, where businesses fit in that world and what their role is within systems. So, yeah, that's my first tip. 
So do you use systems thinking, it sounds like, to get a good kind of 100,000 foot view of, of everything? Like I think about that in, in strategy a lot. Like oftentimes you will step back to get a bigger picture understanding of what's going on. And then it sometimes is a bit of an accordion thing where you go in and out as, as things spark your interest and you go a little bit deeper. But it sounds like this is really useful for kind of getting a lay of the land. Yeah. And in fact, systems thinking is used that way and you can use it that way, um, but it is meant to be a an approach to highly detailed uh, problem solving. So maybe I'll just jump, jump into the next tip to answer that okay. question. So my next tip to leverage systems thinking is be a problem lover. Make problems the love of your life. <laughs> If you're going to get the most, I think most you're talking to the right people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Um, so if you're going to get the most out of systems thinking, then you better love understanding and unpacking problems as much as solving for them. We tend to, um, our industry tends to put this pressure on all of us to get to the solution. Um, and when we talk about unintended consequences, that's because we came up with solutions that didn't take a systems view. Um, we may have had the right intention behind it or motivation. It was meant to be a good thing, but in fact, it had all these things that broke down and weren't considered. So, yes. So the wonderful thing about systems thinking is, as you say, it's an accordion fold. It, it is both microscope and telescope. Um, and being able to um, look at how systems interact and the dynamics in the elements within systems really does help you explore um, problems and really understand all the elements that work together to make a system function or that create a problem or can solve a problem. So it's really about um, really digging into this process of what I, what I call and many others call unthinking. Um, putting, shifting your perspective, seeing things differently, looking at things through different lens, lenses. And it is about seeing the playing field uh, contextually. You get a bigger picture. So, you know, I always think, you know, every time we have a new discovery about the origin of mankind or how long we've been around, the more data points and the, the bigger we draw our lens, the more of a different picture it creates because we keep adding more data points to this picture that keeps evolving and changing. So that's my point is if we just focus on the object or, or one reference point, we get we don't really get any backstory. We really don't get any context. So systems thinking is about taking that and actually doing something with it and truly understanding all those working pieces. Um, so it can feel daunting. Um, so as part of my be a problem lover tip, the tip within the tip um, is draw boundaries. You need to draw a problem arena that draws boundaries because you could be looking at systems never end as a never ending story. So you have to really draw those boundaries, those edges to your problem arena so that you um, can can, you know, right size, if you will, the scope of what you're trying to look into. Yeah, that feels like really good counsel because I, I I was just writing down. I, I could just imagine this being really overwhelming. <laughs> and 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 do your edges and boundaries kind of potentially change as you go as you learn more, or do you set those quite early on, or how how does that work? Yeah. Um, so I think what I try to do, and I think it's the hardest part of all of our jobs, is coming up with what's the right problem definition. Right? Is it broad enough? Is it focused enough? That balance. 
um, isn't even in the right arena. And so why we use the word arena is because we are trying to explore a problem arena. So we try to make it focused yet broad. And then to your point, as you start to explore it and you start to understand the key problems, and there'll always be more than one problem, um, you start to understand things and then you can refine, of course. It should be fluid. Systems are fluid. Our process should be fluid. So as we start to learn, we can start to identify and redefine or fine tune that problem arena into like problem statements that then can be used for design thinking processes. Okay. So I've understood the fundamentals. I am a problem lover. I think a lot of us are naturally. What's your tip number three? Okay. So tip number three is um, develop a systems mindset. Um, Again, very, very close to all our hearts as as strategists is mindsets and the importance of mindset leading behavior and how we see the world. So with systems thinking, everything is connected. It's going to, it's a very kind of matrix inception (laughs) movie reference type of thing. You know, everything is connected, but it's true. It is. Um, So what a systems mindset simply is, is it's not reductive or linear. And we have been trained through so much of classical critical thinking, and I'm not saying there's not a lot of value in some of those disciplines, to reduce everything down to something simple or one thing, um, or to be very linear down our thinking approach. Um, And in fact, systems thinking is about seeing everything in a circle um, and embracing all that messy complexity and turning complexity into something valuable, um, not trying to bring it down to its simplest lowest common denominator. So it really is about shift, helps you shift perspective. Um, I would say like systems thinking is about understanding that for first and foremost, the connections and relationships between things so you can see how the world works. I kind of liken it to the steps between a dancer's, um, you know, in a choreography, um, this, the step, the spaces between the steps are as important as the steps themselves. So really, we're really trying to understand those inner relationships, those those spaces in between, if I could say it in a simple way, and then the flows and dynamics and interconnections formed within that system. So that's really why this mindset has to change how you actually think about the world um, overall. So if we're embracing complexity and, and kind of being okay with the messiness, which to be honest, gives me a little bit of anxiety as I think about <laughs> how do you make it actionable? Because I said, like, that goes back to the overwhelm, or do you have another way to do that? Yeah. And then that's just the thing. So systems thinking um, is, has a whole toolkit of processes, um, mental models, um, ways to structure because systems are about structure. So fundamentally, events events are chaos and mess. And once you get into systems thinking, once you start to map, mapping is a huge thing in systems thinking, and we all love mapping. So that should be like a relief for everyone because mapping is super fun. Um, but mapping definitely is one of the key things used. And there's a ton of research too, right? Like there's a ton of research that goes into exploring systems. Um, And so that does ground you in analytics, observational insight, all of that great stuff that we use in design and in just research practices generally. So that kind of starts to structure everything. And yes, in systems thinking, there are a lot of frameworks like theory of change is a systems framework you use 
once you understand the system and you've made sense of the system, so there's a process, like you explore the system, then you make sense of the system. It's very similar to what we do in in day-to-day strategy. And then you can start to build and build a new system or intervene in the system. And there are so many different tools in the systems thinking toolkit that you can use to do that, that give you that those frameworks and structures that, that keep that complexity organized and making sense. Uh, otherwise, you're right, it's just, it's just chaos. And I'm not suggesting that we keep that complexity and don't make sense of it, Um, I'm just saying, like, we're not trying to get down to that reductionist, like, what's that one, like that simple thing, like we often are asked to do in when it comes to advertising, if you will. Yeah. Okay. What's what's next on your list? (laughs) Okay, so what are we at three now? Okay, so um, next on my list is actually, I think this is the next best one to talk about. So to your point, Michelle, in terms of like, wow, that sounds crazy, overwhelming and awful. And honestly, systems thinking can sometimes be painful and awful because it's really, it's, it's like you're having, it's, it's frustrating. It can be really frustrating. Um, and you're constantly, you're constantly being faced with your own biases, your own assumptions, your own approach to thinking through something that you have, you have to catch yourself on. Um, And really focus on what the systems are telling you and the problem that leads to the next problem to the next problem. So you really have to really um, take breaks, a lot of breaks. (laughs) And uh, really think about, step back and give yourself that space to to really, you know, not get too down the rabbit hole, if you will. So that brings me to interventions. So the whole point of systems thinking is to create interventions. Um, and interventions are things that you do in order to change how a system works. Um, so if a system is meant to function to do something, if the system isn't functioning properly to do that, then you need to find ways to intervene in that system to make it function properly. Like, you know, uh, the wage gap for women, you know, an important topic to me. And the reality is that's a systems, that's a, that's a systems issue. You know, what, how do we solve for that? Um, so there are many, 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 many <laughs> way more topics that we can all that are all that are all close to our hearts and and that we can actually point to systems as being the problem. So interventions is the key language around um, actioning a the understanding of a system and trying to solve a problem. So your problem arena. And that could come down eventually to an object. So then, you know, I'm trying to design a new interface or a new chair that's better for disabled people. I don't know, anything like that. But it, but you got to start at the system. And interventions are really about um, mapping those relationships and dynamics in a system um, so that you can shape those dynamics or influence those dynamics to work together differently. Um, it's not, you know, you might you know, see an object and say, okay, well, I don't like that about the object, I'm going to change it. But then you may not consider all the implications of that change, uh, if you're not looking at at the context around that object. Super vague, but I couldn't think of a good example. Um, So I would say that the key around interventions is we tend to look at the individual level, particularly in our business. Um, and it's important that we don't bring everything down to the individual level. Um, there is a ton of research and proof out there that is very compelling um, that would suggest that most of our systems issues have to do with 
our perceptions, attitudes, biases, and behaviors. Um, and yes, that is all true. But just because a behavior is in a system doesn't mean that the individual can solve it, like an individual in the system can solve it. Um, in fact, in more cases than not, trying to solve a behavioral problem at the individual level doesn't work. Why? Because behaviors exist in systems. So that is just like a little tip within a tip again about that balance. And then the other little tip within a tip on this one that I think is really important is interventions can be quite counterintuitive. Um, for instance, on, you know, when we're trying to, our first inclination when we are thinking about problem solving or a solution is additive, right? We think about a solution as something we're adding, we're trying to add to or create something. So we have an additive mindset around it. Um, but often an intervention can be subtractive. And in fact, subtractive interventions tend to work better than additive interventions. Um, and so that's just something to keep in mind. I mean, these are all just rules of thumb. There's always exceptions, um, you know, and I don't think there's also one size of an intervention. It, it People think about it as a very tangible act, but, you know, a brand strategy, if you want to create new meaning around a brand and you want to create new cultural meaning and align to culture, then you know, creating new meaning in a brand strategy is, is an intervention. So, you know, that's, that's a good, good example of, of something we can all relate to. So I, I have two questions. One is, um, there must be a tool, like, how do you get around chicken or egg? Like, you know, when you're mapping these things out and how do you know, literally which one is the chicken, which one is the egg? And then my other question was going to be, um, say you're positioning a brand or I don't know, let's just take Dove and you're trying to figure out what its role could be in the beauty conversation. Is that where you could potentially map out? So this is what academia is saying. This is culturally what we're seeing. This is what social media is doing. This is what competitors are doing. Like, is that where you could potentially map out that whole system and kind of see what the relationships and things are? Yeah. So you would look at, um, you would have to give yourself a problem arena to do that. But yes, you would you would start to look at the systems that impact beauty. So you'd have to look at, you know, I mean, that's a pretty, it's a pretty hefty topic. And that's why, again, a good example, really, to draw, to make sure you give yourself that that boundary. Because you, you have to look at, you know, different agendas within beauty, different beauty archetypes. You'll have to look at different cultural codes and where they're going. Um, where do, where, where, um, where does the beauty industry as a system let women down? You know, things like that. So we, you know, and then there's also, of course, um, how we how we view femininity, how we view beauty as a culture and historically. So there's also, as much as we're looking right now and here and now, we need to take that historical lens of the narrative of culture and where these topics have come from. How has feminine beauty been shaped and formed over, you know, eras? So you, there is this constantly looking back and then looking in the present and then looking towards the future. So you're looking in all three spaces um, when you're mapping overall. So, you know, it, it's it's complex in that way. And yes, to answer your question, there are toolkits um, and lots of research required in order to understand the causal relationships between things. Okay. Um, yeah. And so you want to look at causal loops. Um, feedback loops and causal loops, what 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 elements in a system might be reinforcing, what ones are balancing, you know, we tend to like reinforcing loops in our industry because it means that we're creating more value for our clients. But 
sustainability, for instance, is really more about uh, balancing, balancing loops um, that create strong systems that function well over longer periods of time. So yeah, I mean, there's lots of application. I love your Dove example, um, a brand I worked on many years ago. Um, and yeah, these are the kind of wonderful, juicy applications around meaning and culture and narrative that shape brand strategy and content and all kinds of stuff and great things in our industry. But what kind of problems are you being asked to solve and like, what, what are the questions that you're trying to resolve with systems thinking? Can you just give me like a, a couple examples? Yeah, I mean, I've applied it a lot to brand strategy. Um, so whenever I'm trying to understand um, the value of a brand or create stronger meaning in a brand culturally and where culture is going, I apply systems thinking along with foresight. Uh, in order to do that. So, you know, obviously I'm defining those problems for myself as I'm doing research and not really come getting asked to solve it as much as I'm saying, hey, you know, your brand strategy is completely not aligned with, you know, creating meaning and, and creating value. Um, obviously I get asked, um, like I, I worked on a project last year where I was asked to look at the royalty-free, for a client, the royalty-free um industry in terms of where is it going? Where is royalty-free assets going? And where can we start to create more value? And so that was a real, that was a dig into the systems around the industry to truly understand where there could be new opportunity that would break this kind of cycle of commoditization of content elements. That's another example. Um, I use it to understand where categories are going um, all the time to really understand where um, you can create influence. And then in social impact work, I use it. So when I'm trying to understand a community, if you're designing a product or service for a specific community, um, I'll just, you know, it could be single moms or it could be um, understanding urban dwellers and, and air pollution, for instance. These are all the kind of questions that, um, tend to get tabled and I tend to start with systems thinking to try and resolve. I, I, I don't really get asked often, like, here's my problem and they have it outlined. I typically have to figure out what the problem is because clients, the clients I work with are amazing and they know they have a problem in a sense, like something's not right or I'm not maybe optimized or business isn't growing or I think I might, I think it could be my brand strategy, but they don't really have it defined as like, here's my, my key problem. So yeah. Uh, you know, like all of us as strategists, we kind of have to pull that out of our clients to, and then say, actually, I think we need to do this. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, once you've defined the problem, it's kind of nine tenths solved, hopefully. Um, that's the tricky part. Um, okay. Well, what, what's your, what's your final tip once we've employed the interventions? Yeah. So my final tip is just very simple. It's be a practitioner. Um, one thing, maybe I'm, I'm, I am who I am, but I have always loved what I do. And I'm a hobbyist as much as I'm a, a, a consultant and, and specialist. But I always find my give myself space to play. And I, you know, I always encourage our clients to do the same and find, you know, a lot of workshops I, I do are to create those spaces for play um, and to play with the toolkits, to apply them to silly things like I once, you know, had someone apply it to their they were upset about dogs uh, peeing in parks all the time and everywhere, not paying attention to signage and in their neighborhood and community. And I said, well, why don't we systems think it? 
And, you know, it's just finding everyday ways to apply the toolkit just for practice, just for fun. Um, so I say, you know, always try and find ways to play with the different techniques, um, combine them with other things in your own personal toolkit that you feel really comfortable with. Um, you know, I can give some examples in terms of how I've applied it. Like we talked about brand strategy, foresight and culture mapping, uh, which is all about understanding cultural systems and how, you know, trends shift and how codes and values shift, et cetera. Um, I use it a lot in customer experience design. So if I'm looking at people, how they relate to a brand and the ecosystem of a brand and the category, et cetera, et cetera, and, and how br uh, a brand can create great customer experience, um, I do apply systems thinking, maybe not at the rigor of a life sciences approach, but I do apply it in customer experience design a lot. Um, the other area I apply it in is in business design. So when I'm looking at business design and sustainability, so if I'm being asked to look at business modeling and coming up with better business modeling, um, I will definitely start with a systems approach there for sure, 100%. And Obviously, when I'm doing human-centered design research and innovation work, which is my my approach to pretty much everything I do is human-centered design um, as, a, as a practitioner, um, I do a lot of design sprints and workshops and just research. So I apply it heavily there. And then in scenario planning as well, like last year, I was asked to look at the future of advertising beyond third-party cookies and what does identity mean um, to the future of our industry. And so, you know, that was a scenario planning approach, but systems thinking was at the heart of, of that work. And then I guess my last example, which I always love, because I guess, because it's so human, um, there's this, um, it doesn't have a great name, there's not a great name for it, but there's, there's this mapping exercise called circular mapping, <laughs> very functional. Um, but it's wonderful because it's just basically a circle and then you draw these little dots around the circle. And then you write down all the things, all the elements that you think like the, are in the system that, you know, that you can think of. And then you start to try and connect the dots through the middle of that circle. Like, oh, well, how does this connect to this? And how does that connect to this? And you start to see patterns in the lines you're drawing. And I do that a lot in workshops with uh, clients and new design teams or people I've brought together for a project that haven't really worked this way before. And what it does is it really tests our own privilege, our own biases, our own assumptions, because as people start to connect the dots, it really forces you to think about, well, why do I think those two things fit together? What am I bringing to the table that is saying that those two are a connection point? What things am I start, am I actually missing and how am I bringing my own biases into this, this this circular mapping. And I find it every time it's a massive eye opener for everyone. And everyone just realizes how much of their own selves they bring to the process. So I just love that example, because it's so human. And it's such a wonderful way to, to help us, you know, see how we bring unintended consequences to our own problem solving. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm, I mean, almost you know, writing down all of your assumptions before you start might be an interesting way at it too. I remember doing that for, for a project, actually it was for a gambling project and just writing down all of the biases that they had before kind of going into the casino. And it's, it's kind of shocking, um, but cleansing as well. It's so that, and I love that you just said that because it's exactly a perfect way to start any project is the assumption dump. And, yeah. um, and owning our, our privilege, like, 
for instance, on a team, like I, I did an exercise where I um, had a profile of a single mom, you know, during COVID, you know, when I create a profile for her, just an example. And I started off by saying, okay, so here's my privilege. I'm not a single mom. I work from home. I have a pretty good salary. I don't, I can't, I, I have a ton of privilege compared to this other person. And so even though we're both women, I still have privilege. I still have biases and assumptions I can't put on her. So it's just, you start off and you just start to think about all the privileges that you bring to a design project and you do your assumptions dump, um, which I 100% agree with you. It's the best way to start any project. And then I'm not, it's not about saying, oh, a man shouldn't be on a team working on a, a, pro- on a project uh, for a single mom, but it's just everyone owning up to what they might be bringing to the table. And once yeah. you do that, as you say, it's so cleansing and it gets everybody focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Okay. So uh, let me see if I've got these all. Your first tip was to understand the fundamentals. Thank you for the resources that you shared. And I, I love that you only kind of gave one or two so we don't get overwhelmed. <laughs> um, number two. Can I add one be- more? Can I add one more? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So one more. So you'll see a lot. If you go to the systemsthinking.com, you'll see like most of it. And then of course there's um, Donella, but Peter Sang, The Fifth Discipline is a great book to read as well. Okay. I think we can handle three. Okay. Um, number two was be a problem lover. I feel like that one, you know, most of us have down pat. So that's awesome. <laughs> number three, um, employ a systems mindset. I thought this was really interesting, actually, just to not be reductive or linear, because we, uh, to your point, oftentimes we are asked to kind of synthesize and put in simplest terms. Um, but but then you lose a lot of the nuance, um, I think, that, that this kind of thinking provides. Uh, number four was around taking breaks and employing interventions. If I've got that right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Taking breaks so you don't drive your cra- yourself crazy trying to figure out the interventions. <laughs> yeah, inter- intervene on yourself. Um, number five was to be a practitioner to play and create. And yeah, that was that was the five. That's it. Great. You make it sound so simple. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just you know what hey and you're going to, everyone's going to find ways to apply it in ways. And oftentimes you won't even tell people you're applying it because it just creates a whole mess of like questions and, you know, um, and uh, challenges for strategists who have it hard enough, I think these days. Um, so, you know, do, do with it as you will and just play with it and you'll find how it fits into your day to day and it, it won't fit everywhere. It just won't. So and that's okay too. Great. Well, thank you, Esme, so much for sharing your your knowledge with us. Um, where do, do you have a site that we can go to to find out more, or where? I, I actually don't. Your, your LinkedIn profile in our show notes. It's my LinkedIn profile. Um, I don't have a website. I I pretty much do everything through word of mouth. Um, not not suits me well. Um, although maybe in the next year or two, I'm starting some new interesting projects where I'll probably have to put up a. Uh, a, a website. But um, yeah, you can reach out if people have questions um, to my LinkedIn. I'm happy to answer any questions anybody has or help people, you know, find more resources, etc. So thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much, Esme. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Grow Up. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts.